You're listening to Bits of Me, the podcast about women's bodies, all the things we should know about them and all the stories behind them. This week I talked to Helen Ledwick, who, just like me, is the mother of two who started a podcast after she realised that she had pelvic organ prolapse. We talk about the moment of the collapse, what it does to your self-image to go through something like this, what new mothers should be told after giving birth and what podcasts have to do with it. If you've listened to Bits of Me before, you know that I always thank the podcast patrons for supporting me to keep this going. This week is no different. Thank you. So do you want to start by telling me when it all happened that day when you kind of discovered that, uh uh-oh, something's wrong? The uh uh-oh moment, the prolapse moment, when I found out for the first time in my life that a prolapse was actually a thing. Um, Yeah, yeah, so it was about, um, it was a couple of weeks after I'd had my younger child. And um, uh, it was a really, I mean, a lot of people will relate to this, but it was a really difficult time anyway. Both my children had tongue ties, so breastfeeding was really difficult, but I was yeah. determined that with my second child in particular that I would make that work. So there was a lot going on with that. I'd had a difficult birth and I'd had a third degree tear. Mm. So there was a lot of damage. Although one of the things I believe now is that I, did, I really didn't understand that level of damage. I didn't realise how severe that was. Yeah. I think I still thought at that point, I've had a vaginal birth, I've had a tear, that's quite normal. Yeah. Get on with things. So I was struggling in that department anyway, uh, just sort of very swollen and couldn't sit down. Mm-hmm. So I was, and I was knackered, no one was sleeping. Like I of had course. those children yeah. that didn't sleep. But anyway, at two weeks old, who's sleeping anyway? So no one's sleeping. I'm not feeling very well. Uh, it's like life is, is quite hard. And, uh, so there were two things that happened on this one particular day because I remember the the actual day that it happened. Mm. And uh, the first one was that I remember sitting on the sofa and reaching out to lift up uh, my two-year-old as she was then and uh, to, to bring her onto my knee. And I did feel at the time that that was a bit of a strain. Perhaps I shouldn't have done that. Mm. Something didn't feel quite right. And then a little bit later that day, I uh, went for a poo and I strained doing that because you're in that situation aren't you where you, the baby's crying and calling for food and you just want to get back to the kids and sort them yeah. out so I probably hurried myself through that yeah and I strained on the loo and uh I don't know if those two things were what gave me the prolapse if they contributed to what extent they contributed but I think I feel like that was like the last straw so mm. uh shortly after that I just felt a bulge uh in my vagina which uh, I describe now like a feeling of losing a tampon, maybe, yeah. you know, when it's just not sitting right and you're kind of getting that awkward feeling. So I knew something wasn't right. Um, and so I went upstairs and got a handheld mirror and had a look. And it was the first time I'd had a look since I'd had my son. And it was yeah. the first time I'd had a look. Probably in my whole life because yeah. I, I don't know why. We just we just don't do that enough, do we? So I could see, um, I don't know how graphic we want to be. I could see, I could see, I could see that where there should be a hole, there was a, there was a bulge. There was a yeah. fleshy bulge. So I was Googling those kind of words <laughs> and looking at all the pictures. 
and uh, and you know eventually realized that this was probably this thing called a prolapse and then mm. you start reading what is pelvic organ prolapse and uh, you understand that your internal organs are falling out of place and I'm sure you can relate to that moment of just yeah. being like in fact the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up now just thinking about yeah. it because it's just like that feels catastrophic and like mm. if, I, if I stand up is that is that game over like where are we at so I had like a brief panic and should I call an ambulance at this point? Um, but I didn't. I didn't. I te- what I did was I texted uh, my midwife. I was still under the care of the midwife at that point. Oh, yeah. And so that was reassuring uh, to a point. And uh, I was able to make a, a GP appointment and, you know, begin that journey <clears throat> of trying to understand what was happening and, and trying to get some treatment. But, yeah, I guess the the initial feelings were just uh, just a bit gutted, really. Just mm. like, you know, what what is this thing and how can I fix it? Mm. That's that's all you want. How can I fix it? How can I be- get back to normal, isn't it? And um, what were your symptoms then, other than what happened that day? What was it like in the coming weeks? So after that, um, I mean, it's a little bit hard for me to, t- to, uh, to know what was damaged from the birth, from the, from the tear, and mm. what was the prolapse. It was all mixed into one. Um, but it was mostly just this feeling of kind of like I was sitting on a doorknob is how I felt every time I sit down. I mean, I had I couldn't sit down without a pillow anyway yeah. um, because of the tear and then the prolapse on top of that. I didn't and still don't have urinary incontinence to speak of. Toileting is not quite the same. I still have, um, you know some issue like constipation type mm. issues but totally manageable um and uh and sometimes I get some lower backache and things like that but my day-to-day symptoms are not like for some people they can be completely um what's the word I'm looking for debilitating and my day-to-day yeah. symptoms are not debilitating in that way no and I'm what six years just six years on now mm. and uh it's still just the bulge is the thing and a lot of the time now I don't really I don't I don't feel it all the time I don't think about it all the time Mm. but certainly that has improved over that time Mm. so when you think back to your pregnancies and births um now knowing what you know now uh, do you kind of think oh that's why it happened or can you kind of rationalize it in your head and think that's probably what went wrong or this is where I am where I am you spend a lot of time doing this, don't you? The what you do, ifs, yeah. right? I think where I'm at with it is, um, so, the, so, the, so to give you an idea, the kind of what ifs that have gone through my mind over the years are, and especially when it first happened. So uh, it happened um, after I had a VBAC. So I'd had a, mm. a cesarean with my eldest um, because she was breech and I had not laboured at all. And then, uh, so my first labour was with my second child. So I had a mm. VBAC. Uh, which I really wanted. I really fought for that because I thought that was for the best. Um, it was it was uh, a, a difficult labour. Um, had I had a lot of um, backache. I was sick a lot. Mm. Um, it was very long. Uh, they broke uh, my waters late on to put a, um, a monitor on my son's head, mm. um, and 
then there was an, uh, an episiotomy and then there was a tear and and yeah and I, I kind of would take it back to every single one of those things and I, and I didn't do my pelvic floor exercises no I didn't um I was feeling like I've got one child already I've pretty much got this motherhood thing nailed I think yeah. I know where I'm at with it all um obviously I didn't um and and actually if the other thing that I actually think is probably more of an issue was the fact that I probably wasn't taking as good a care of myself after this tear. So as I said, when we started, I didn't realise the significance of the tear. I didn't realise how deep that was, how mm. many layers that cuts through, the damage mm. that was there. I hadn't, and so I probably wasn't looking after myself as well as I could or should have. And I suppose like that's probably true for many of us because I think the emphasis is on getting back to your pre-pregnancy self, isn't it? Yeah. And I think as well, like we could do, to, we could serve women better by giving them better advice. Because if, if someone, I'll tell you what, if, if someone in the hospital had told me, I mean, I was advised to do some pelvic floor exercises, right? To help with healing is what I remember being told. Mm. If they'd said, if you don't look after yourself, if you've had this really bad tear. And if you don't, you could have a prolapse on your internal organs could yeah. fall out of place. I think I would have listened to that and I would have I know. maybe have acted differently. But what I would say is that all of this stuff, where I'm at right now, is that I don't know. It might have happened anyway. Mm. And I can't pin it to one thing. But I think in the overall picture, we could. the one thing we could do better at is, is better postnatal care for women. Yeah. You know, help them to understand this is, even though it's the most natural thing in the world <laughs> in some respects, it's still like, it's it's a marathon for your body in the very best of cases. And we yeah. need to really respect and look after ourselves afterwards. Yeah. In terms of your identity and sense of self, what's happened to how you identify as Helen and as a mother? I know you've talked about um, how you missed moving in the beginning when you were kind of scared of exercise and all that. What else? How did you feel about yourself? Oh, that that to me has probably been the bigger part of it you know I said that my symptoms I don't find them to be debilitating as such but it was um the mental stuff around that so um so not only are you a new mom and your body's completely different and you're looking after small children and you're exhausted and you don't feel like yourself hormonally or in any way in shape or form but then you add this um layer of of damage to it which is associated with this part of your body that, you know, we as a society still view as shameful and icky and embarrassing and taboo. And um, it makes you, it's not, it makes you act in a way that's not who you are. So for me, that meant being a lot, a lot less active than I perhaps wanted to be, mm. um, less, uh, able to lift things or do things a bit fearful a bit more introverted because there's this massive thing going on in your body that you don't really feel like I mean it's not dinner time conversation you can't just bust it out in the corner shop it's a big thing in your life that you can't yeah. share with things so it sort of for me chip yeah it chipped away at the person that I felt like I had been before and that person that I wanted to get back to again and um, the restrictions on my lifestyle were a big part of that as well, mm. because um, the advice, as you'll know, like then and to some extent now was very much like you can either have surgery, which is uh, 
you know, not always successful and doesn't always last very long and can mm. come with some real complications. Or you can wear um, a pessary and sort of manage it, which is, you know, definitely part of the picture, I think, for a lot of people mm. and possibly for myself going forwards. And and or you can you can manage your lifestyle. So get to, you know, a healthy weight, but also avoid running avoid jumping avoid lifting exactly. avoid yeah. you know and how you can't do how can you do that when you've got this tiny baby in a in a, in a heavy car chair that you're swinging in and out of the car mm. um and th- those things weighed more heavily on my, me i would say like and for years after i had my prolapse mm. I, I, I was afraid from both my feet to leave the ground at the same time yeah you know i was like i I hated being the one saying to my kids, like, I, I can't, you know, mummy's not strong. Mummy can't lift that. We'll have to get daddy to do it. Or, you know, mummy can't um, come and chase after you in the park because, yeah. um, you know, mummy's got a broken bottom or whatever Whatever I ended up telling them. Mm. And I hated being that weak person. You know, I had an incident at work where, so I was working as a radio producer and we were out on uh, an out a broadcast covering an event and uh, it's all very um, uh, fast moving and thinking on your feet and suddenly was in the, found myself in a situation where I was going to have to carry a very heavy piece of kit for a very sustained period of time and I was mm. terrified and in that moment I was like what do I do do I open up to all these people at this particular moment that I have a prolapse and explain yeah. to them what that is or do I just sort of suck it up and and carry this thing knowing that um that could be really damaging to me and I think in the end I mumbled something about maybe a bad back or something like that mm. and I and you know now I'll just be like I've got a prolapse I'll tell you about it later I can't <laughs> carry it. but at the time you know it was just too embarrassing to mention so mm. um so yeah feeling like I I couldn't move and when you can't move you can't exercise you can't Mm-mm. feel fit right you can't mm. get those on you feel like you can't get the endorphins that you get from exercise you've already feel like your body's a mess anyway and you can't feel like you're getting strong again so I don't know it was there was a lot of things that contributed to yeah this feeling of of losing um my sense of who I was and yeah and the permanency of it as well right just knowing that uh, yeah, it's it's not gonna, it's never really gonna be fixed. Mm. Ne- well, who knows what may be invented in the future, but yeah, you know, this yeah. is this is a learn to live with and uh, adapt to. And mm. that yeah, that did that got me down over mm. a few years really. So you did what I did and decided to start a podcast, as you do. Um, where did that idea come from, or why did you decide to do that? Um. Do you know, I can't, I'm not even sure that of like the exact moment where I decided to do that, but I, I was having all these feelings of feeling alone with it and, uh, and then actually getting quite angry about the fact that nobody talked about it because Mm. it's not our fault. (laughs) It shouldn't be a taboo that is influencing how you live your life or how you restrict yourself in Mm. your life. Uh, and I and I was just feeling a bit lost with it, I suppose. So I started on Instagram was the first thing, and I I don't I don't I don't know why I decided that that was the right forum. I've no idea. Like how how do you illustrate? Because Instagram, especially them, twenty eighteen was all about beautiful pictures and yeah, how you illustrate a prolapse on an Instagram account <laughs> Beautifully. was uh, yeah, it was an interesting challenge. Um, but yeah, I started putting some things out on there anonymously because I was embarrassed, mm-hmm. and then uh, I just found 
the support and welcome from uh, a lot of people in maybe the pelvic physiotherapy um, side of things and some other women as well who were going through pelvic floor problems just really um, welcoming and supportive and uh, not long after that I decided that I should probably not be anonymous anymore because if I was asking people to talk about this and end the stigma yeah I decided I should probably put my name on it mm. and none of this is comfortable for me like I I went to school in Lancashire in Northern England in the 90s uh, to a Catholic school. Like talking about my vagina in public is definitely, <laughs> it's not in my DNA. DNA. No. It's really not. Um, but yeah, so as, as that went along and it just became obvious that there were a lot of other women in, you know, all over the world who were going through the exact same things. Um, mm. And I felt like with my background in um, audio and have a love of podcasts anyway mm. that that was the perfect forum for it because it's in your headphones not everyone has to hear it it's it is really niche but that's yeah. not to say it's not common um and uh and yeah it just felt like the perfect vehicle to to share that intimate story and it, and then it was about sharing stories which has amazed me the the power of that the power of hearing someone else's story and being able to relate to it wherever you are in the world yeah. even if you you know even if you have nothing else in common with that with that woman can make you feel so much less alone and so much more hopeful i think um so that's been really powerful and then the other side to it for me it was it was the women's stories and it was um the expert voices because mm. the other thing that i really wanted to do was get some good information out there yeah. Because what you were probably your children I know are the same age as mine so you were probably at that point of you got you went on to Google and it's just rabbit hole after rabbit hole of yeah what you should be doing how you should be sitting how you should be breathing what mm. you should not be doing um you know how how this can be fixed through this surgery and that surgery and then actually it can't ever be fixed and it was so confusing yeah um so that that's been an important part of it as well so that's kind of how it all came about yeah so you've spoken to a lot of people now and you've been at this for a good while. Um, what have been your main insights, would you say? Or have you had any epiphanies or anything? Uh, from a really selfish point of view, um, it's been massively cathartic for me. So my relationship with my body and my prolapse and everything that happened with me, I feel like... So in the first episode of the podcast, I had a conversation, a difficult conversation with my best friend where I told my story and it was quite mm. emotional. Um, and the thing is that I could not have that conversation now in the same way because mm. I feel so much better. And that is not yeah. to say that my prolapse is um, fixed, healed. It's not. But I think it's just been a reframing of the whole situation. Mm. During that time, you know, I have gone back to exercise, which has been a massive part of it. Um, I've found a way to uh, rehab and train through pelvic physio and, you know, appropriate postnatal training programs. Mm. And I'm feeling much better in myself in that way as well. So, um, and and yeah, like the, and you probably get this as well, like the messages that I get from women around the world who listen to the podcast and they tell me two things. Uh, it's made them feel less alone yeah. and it's given them hope. Mm. And so, yeah, the the power of being able to share that with people like, yeah. is amazing. And I'm so proud of it. Mm. Um, and I think 
where I'm heading with it all is just this realization that these problems, you know, that I talk about and you talk about, for me, it's prolapse and pelvic pain and incontinence and pelvic floor problems often Mm. after babies it's all part of this wider issue I think in health at the moment and the gender gap Mm. you know and and the fact that it was you know the healthcare system in certainly in the western world was invented by men for men and there isn't enough research into conditions that only affect women and then when there's a gap in the medical knowledge you know we're sort of sent away to well what do you expect you just had a baby Mm. change your lifestyle stop moving mm. uh and and i'm starting to, you know i was i was angry about the fact we didn't talk about it before and now i'm moving more into this idea that um you know there's actually a lot that could be done to help women that's not being done but i think it starts with talking about it so what could be done then if you could dream and just design a better system what would it look like oh my goodness Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, it specifically, is. yeah. like relate, relating specifically to sort of pelvic health stuff, I think, uh, you know, and there will be better people to ask about this, but it, my sense is there isn't enough um, research into uh, not only what these conditions are, but how they affect women, you know, more um, on a bigger scale, you know, not just the physical, clinical symptoms of the act, actual problems, but the wider um, mental health implications, the 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 deeper physical implications that come with not moving as much mm. as you should be anymore, and so mm. I feel like there's a lot more research to be done in that field. Um, and ultimately, I mean, what we'd all like is for there to be a better fix, right? <laughs> like, yeah. if you know, if we knew, if we knew who it affected and how it affected them, and we had more detail about the the long term implications of it all, and we put all that together, and I think people are trying to develop in trying mm. to develop better, I suppose, surgical fixes. Um, but we're not there yet, are we? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, that's, you know, true. And also, the, I guess, also the way women are treated, not not by everyone in the medical profession, but, you know, I still get messages from women who get told all kinds of nonsense from practising medical professionals today. Yeah. Um, I had one the other day from a woman who was told... Um, you know, that she she can't have a pessary for her prolapse, which is, you'll know is this silicon device that helps mm. to hold, goes in the vagina and helps to hold up the organs uh, because she's too young and we only give them to old, really old people. Yeah. Like, and just, and it's nonsense. You can't have sex with a pessary in. Not true. Like, you yeah. know, we need to do better. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I suppose if you were to make that question smaller, and just apply it to your own experience, what do you think could have been said to you or what could have happened in your situation, both before it happened, in terms of how you thought about things and how you approached um, pregnancy and childbirth, uh, and afterwards, after the fact, um, what could have changed your experience? Yeah. Um, let's, let's, I guess, put aside the birth and the tear, because I feel like there's so many factors there that may or may not have, had a different outcome and who can ever really know yeah but I think in the postnatal care side of things um I think you know had I been told straight away as as we talked about this is a really um serious injury that you've had and your rehab and I think we need to talk more about rehab Mm. begins here 
And first of all, that is about really taking care of yourself and not doing the things that could put any kind of strain you know, on, on your pelvic floor right now because it is seriously damaged. So a bit of forewarning. And then mm. after I realised that the prolapse had happened, um, I went to the GP initially. And I think for a lot of people, the message that you get straight away is a little bit of like, oh, yeah, that's happened. Yeah. I, like, And really what I want is, okay, that's happened. It's not the end of the world. Here's how we can begin to rehab this. Yeah. And, and this is where I would love for um, maybe pelvic physiotherapy and uh, the more clinical medical side of things i'm mm. perhaps not getting my terms quite right to work together more closely mm. um as so i feel like it's a bit of an either or often at the moment and uh i yeah so i think we can do much more to help women get back to the life that they are comfortable with and find a safe way to rehab them back to that life through mm. You know, for me, that's been a lot of pelvic floor work and then um, some very steady core work and uh, glutes work to help the other yeah. muscles of your body support your pelvic floor and all those kind of things. And I, yeah, I just feel like at the moment there's too much of just, oh, well, you've had a baby. What do you expect? Don't do the things that make it worse off your pop. And, yeah. you know, so that I think... Just even getting past that would be a massive good start. Mm. Does that, do you relate to those? Oh, absolutely. All yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, the journey as well of the the realisation and the, this idea that there is something out there that is really, really common and I've never heard of it. And the yeah. messages when you Google being... Oh, okay. That's the end of the world then. Great. No fix. And it's only going to get worse as you get older. Mm -hmm. Um, And then traveling through that kind of, I suppose I I hit the rage level fairly quickly, I think, (laughs) after (laughs) Googling a bit. But uh, but yeah, it's all very relatable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I yeah. And I think I feel like I am moving in this direction of like, oh, it's about it's about women as we get older and are no longer reproductive beings yeah. like what happens to us and how visible we are and how people are sidelined and the attitudes that I guess we reflect on ourselves but I'm not quite I'm not fully formulated all my thoughts around all that kind of stuff right now yeah but, well um, I suppose it's that thing you've you've served your purpose because you've reproduced yeah, and yeah, you've totally. you've had the babies mm-hmm. so you know and I guess going back I don't know how many uh, decades or centuries but you wouldn't live for that much longer after your menopause anyway so <laughs> you know <laughs> That's so you really were past it, literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> you know, you're just fading away anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Collapsing, literally. Yeah. Oh, no, but I think um, it feels good. And I feel, I don't know if it's just because we exist in this world now, but it feels like there is momentum behind it and uh, a sense that uh, women and younger women in particular, I think, are prepared just to talk about it. Mm. Because it's just another part of your body, isn't it? And it's mm. and, and I think... For me, like, actually, I don't know how it was for you, but, like, getting past that embarrassment and being able to talk about it, even just that is a massive weight lifted. Yeah, it's really empowering, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. How, why is that? <laughs> I'm not even sure I understand that. But I think when um, when, um, when that secrecy is almost placed on you, 
by society uh, it's yeah. like you're you're not you, you don't talk about it because you're not meant to and yeah. you don't for your own sake but it comes from something external whereas when you when you refuse to not talk about it you kind of reclaim the power and you can change the narrative I suppose yeah that's exactly what it is it feels good it feels good it feels mm. like the right thing the right thing to be talking about at the right time I think yeah and there are so many conversations as well um, about related issues you know endometriosis is being talked about loads Absolutely. periods are being talked yeah. about um, and the menopause and everything in between so yeah well yeah. it's not just that's the thing isn't it you realise that um, you know it's not just in isolation you can put parameters around certain aspects of women's health but ascent, but ultimately it is it's, it's you know the female female what am I trying to say it's uh, yeah conditions that only affect women we don't know enough about them do we exactly that was Helen Ledwick on Bits of Me. If you have ever given birth, you're thinking of someday giving birth, or you've ever had any kind of pelvic floor dysfunction, Helen's podcast, Why Mums Don't Jump, is a must listen. She talks to physios and other experts, as well as women like herself who have struggled with or are struggling with bulging bits and accidents. And every single episode is a really warm and lovely listen. You'll find all the links you need in the show notes. If you want to become a patron to support the making of Bits of Me, please go to patreon.com forward slash bits of me. And if you can't do that right now, but you want to help in another way, why not share a link to this episode in your Mammy Facebook groups or WhatsApp chats? A review on Apple Podcasts also helps a lot. Whatever you do, it's much appreciated. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Thank you.